Um, we have been in a series um, on Christian disciplines, and um, I like to find Christian disciplines as those things which we do well to practice, not because they earn a salvation, right? Um, but because uh, they're instruments in the hand of God to reform our lives. They, they make us different. They are uh, a practice that, as Chris says, or Chris said last week, it's a practice that brings us close to the way that Jesus, and if we happen to see him on the way, uh, that's, that's good. That's great. Um, and God uses these practices, these disciplines, to reform our lives after the pattern of his beloved son, Jesus. And so, so far we've talked about the word uh, and evangelism. And today I'll be preaching on the Lord's Day. And David will close us next week uh, by preaching on grace giving. So uh, our text today is Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 through 17. And that is the Ten Commandments. They're also found in slightly different form in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 21. Uh, but our text is Exodus 20. So if you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Uh, starting Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is in within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's pray. Lord, as, as we approach uh, this text that is uh, the definition of what law is, uh, may we remember our relationship to your law and may we remember the good news of the gospel which has declared over us that though we have been violators of God's law, through Christ, the free gift that he has offered to us in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, is that we 
are his and we belong to him and that he has cleansed us from all of our sins and that uh, now our relation to the law has changed. It hasn't become something that judges us and condemns us to death, but now it's something on this side of Christ that the law shapes our way of living. It, it changes the way that we uh, approach the way that we think about life. It, it shapes who we are and what we do and what we think and how we feel and what we say. And it, it does that because Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the law. He kept every aspect of it on our behalf. And, and he has called us into obedience uh, to God, his father, and, and to him that, that we would obey him in every way. And so, Lord, as we approach this text, I pray that you would keep at the center of our attention that we are saved and that we have been redeemed, and that Jesus is for us and not against us. And that as uh, we feel conviction uh, for, for sin, for ways that we have violated your law, that you would speak your words of love to us, and that we would know without a shadow of doubt that we belong to Jesus, because we believe that all that he did, he did on our behalf. And so, Lord, be to us our source of life. Be to us our our empowerment to obey. Be for us all that we need you to be because we are so needy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, um, this is going to be a sermon on the Lord's Day. And I I read the Ten Commandments on purpose. Um, They're written... At least a thousand years, but maybe, you know, as many as 1,600 years, even before the birth of Christ, the Ten Commandments were written, um, but before he was even born, let alone his, his death and resurrection. And I've started here again on, on, on purpose. In the Ten Commandments, we find the summation of God's law uh, and the requirements he places on his covenant people. The commandments uh, are divided into two tables. You have the, the first uh, in commandments one and four, this is Exodus twenty three through eleven, and you have the second table of the Ten Commandments, and that's commandments five through ten, and that's Exodus twenty twelve through seventeen. The second table is summarized by Jesus in Matthew twenty two, thirty nine and forty. Jesus summarizes it like this: He says, "And a second is like it: You shall love your neighbor as yourself." There's a connection in the Ten Commandments, uh, obedience to them uh, of the Ten Commandments and love, right? Love embodies the Ten Commandments. There is a direct correlation between our obedience to God's decree and living the life of love we see exemplified in Jesus' life and uh, the life of our Savior. I want to make this connection clear. We can say we love our neighbor when, as the fifth commandment teaches us, we honor our father and our mother and and other earthly authorities God has placed in our lives. We obey the sixth commandment when we are patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward our neighbors, and we protect them from harm, doing good even to our enemies. That's a quote from the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 107. We Obey the seventh commandment when we live in purity of mind and body with our neighbors, uh, treating them and ourselves as temples of the Holy Spirit. We keep the eighth commandment when we work faithfully that we might share with those in need, doing good for our neighbors and treating them like we would want others to treat us. 
We obey the ninth commandment when we love truth and speak candidly and openly acknowledge truth. And we guard and advance our neighbor's good name. That's the Heidelberg Catechism answer 112. And the tenth commandment, we should rejoice in the good fortune of our neighbor and not coveting the things that are theirs, but rejoice on their behalf. And never let jealousy or even the slightest desire or thought contrary to God's commands enter our hearts against our neighbor. So this is a summary explanation of what it means to love our neighbors. And if we think about all the ways we are commanded to treat others, they will all eventually sort of fit in one of these uh, six commandments. Uh, They either affect our thoughts, our attitudes, or our behavior. But love is also how Jesus talks about the first five, or first four commandments, the first table of the Ten Commandments. He teaches us this in Matthew 22, 37, and 38, when he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. Therefore, loving God is at the center of the first table as well. So, uh, we love God when we worship the one true God and serve him only. We love God when we worship him after the manner he prescribes for us. Not using our own imaginations, right? We can't tell God how he gets to be worshipped by us. We worship him after the manner that he tells us. Or follow the traditions of men, right? How men in the past have invented to worship God. The, the third commandment, is we honor it, we love God by treating God's name with reverence and respect in our speech and deeds, never misusing God's name for our own ends or dishonoring him by word or act. And we keep the fourth commandment when we keep the Lord's day, when we remember the Lord's day. So um, these 10 summary statements that I've given, I think are all positive affirmations, right? Ten commandments are all negative, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I think these ten were positive affirmations of what the Ten Commandments teach us about how we ought to live our lives. And I've done this brief exposition of the Ten Commandments because it's my firm conviction that the Fourth Commandment, right? Remember the Sabbath day. um, Just like the other nine is part of God's moral law and part of the good works we are to do in our gracious response to the free gift of life and grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's out of true faith and for the glory of God, our, all of our life is meant to live in accordance with God's law. So that's my, my firm conviction, and that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about for the rest of the day. But before we do, um, I also want to affirm the principle that there are many ways in which I personally and all of us in this room have failed at living out these Ten Commandments, right? It's true. All of us have failed in some ways. And there are many ways in which I continue to fail at it even today. It's not just past. It's like today I continue to fail. And in the future, I will continue to fail. I affirm that even in this life, or in this life, even the holiest, the most holy of all of us, right, have only a small beginning in obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all not only some of God's commands. Uh, this is a, the teaching of Scripture, in my view, of Ecclesiastes 7.20, Romans 7.14 and 15, 1 John 1, 8 and 10, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Romans 7.22-25, and Philippians 3.12-16. through 16. 
And so as we long as, as God's people out of gratitude for all that Jesus has given us to obey all that Jesus commands us, we will stumble and we will fall. We will violate God's law. We will neither love him nor our neighbor as we ought. And I want to remind us all that Jesus's blood is enough to cover all that failure. All of our past, present, and future failures. That our response to conviction of sin should always be to run to Jesus, to be saved, and to be empowered to live a life of ongoing repentance to the many, 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 many ways that we fail. We fail in our disobedience to live under God's word. And we fail to seek to participate in God's saving the lost in evangelism. And we fail to give, not just out of our abundance, but also out of our poverty. And we fail to remember the Lord's day and to keep it holy. But God is greater than our failures. God, God's love beckons us to believe in Jesus and to love and obey the law of God. And so today, I hope to spur us to a deeper faith and to familiarize ourselves with God's law. I hope we all, as the psalmist writes in 1-2, place our delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on his law day and night. And so I hope to bring a, a meditation, a rumination. You know how a cow eats? A cow eats the grass, goes into the stomach, and then it, it brings it back out of its stomach and into its mouth again. And then it goes back in its stomach and then it brings it back. So that's ruminating. And that's what I want the Lord's day for us to be today. A rumination on the Lord's day. Um, Because God gave us cows so that we would know that, right? (laughs) Um, I want to explain how each of us can begin to live according to God's command to remember the Sabbath day. So the, the first point is that the Lord's day is, is holy. We see that immediately in, in verse 8. The first thing is that we remember the Lord's day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day, uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then in 11b at the end there, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what does it mean to keep, uh, keep it holy? Well, uh, it means in part to, for it to be set apart or dedicated to God. You shall be holy, uh, Leviticus twenty twenty six says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So holiness means being set apart and belonging to God. It means being owned by him and obeying him. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that God only owns the Lord's day, right? That's not the only day that he owns. Every day belongs to God and every breath we breathe is his and should be dedicated and devoted to him. Psalm seventy-four, sixteen says, yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. First Corinthians ten thirty-one says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Instead, it is establishing a a principle and a practice of devoting an entire day to uh, what the Baptist faith and message in chapter 8 refers to as exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. There are three ways I want to speak to today of how I think God would have us exercise worship 
and spirit, spiritual devotion publicly and privately on the Lord's Day. So there's three sub-points here to, to point number one. Uh, the bottom line is that the Lord's Day is for worship in the assembly of God's people. That's, that's one sort of key way that we make the Lord's Day and keep it, uh, remember it and keep it holy. We are to remember the Lord's Day by keeping it holy in the assembly. The, church, the early church described it this way in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So in other words, they devoted it to the public teaching of the word, right, by the, the, the officers of the church. Uh, they, they devoted the day to the gathering and fellowship uh, of believers. They dedicated the day to participating in the, in the sacraments, in the Lord's table and in baptism. They devoted the day to prayers. And uh, one way we keep the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, is to diligently attend the weekly gathering of God's people in whatever lo- ever location we may find ourselves. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 puts it this way. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So not only are we to attend the gathering, um, to pray publicly with each other right in our songs, uh, to hear the word proclaimed, and to take the Lord's Supper together, but we are also to practice the fellowship of encouraging one another to love and good works. We're to talk to each other and spend time with each other and help spur each other on to do what's good and right. The Lord's Day, which is Sunday, right, the day that he rose from the dead and established a new creation in which the scriptures call the Lord's Day, if you see, you see that in Revelation 1.10, The Lord's Day, Sunday, is to be dedicated to worshiping our King with each other as we hear his word proclaimed, see his word in the sacraments, pray his word publicly in one voice in our songs, and spark his word in the lives of each other through encouraging conversations, personally, one-to-one, or in, in small groups. So by way of application, I'm going to ask a series of questions. And um, if you feel uh, convicted at all, I want to encourage the posture that I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, Run to Jesus to be saved. Jesus is your only hope. Uh, And go to him to be empowered to live the life that he has commanded us to live. Uh, So my questions are these. Do you dedicate the Lord's Day to hearing the word proclaimed publicly and privately? Do you go to church and do you go home and, and spend time in the word? Do you always make time to attend the gathering of God's people to sit under the preaching of the word? Do you set aside time to devote to the reading of the scriptures in your home? Do you seek to be present for the breaking of bread at the Lord's Supper so that you might be nourished weekly by his ordinance? Do you make every effort to participate in praying out loud, to sing with your voice, as we sing as a congregation our prayers to our God. And you seek out brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them and spur them on to love and good deeds. Do you remember that the Lord's day is for worship? Now, uh, the next little sub-point here is in addition to worship, the Lord's day is for remembering the poor. I get this from 1 Corinthians 16.2 and combined with Galatians 2.10. 
Now, uh, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul's writing this letter. He's, he's gone around. He's asking for a collection for the, the, um, the Jews in Jerusalem because persecution has come and bad things are happening and they've been driven out and so they've lost everything. They're destitute. And he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So the first day of the week is Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead, established a new creation. That's the day that this collection activity uh, was described by Paul, right, is to occur. And, And Paul describes this collection as an eager desire to remember the poor. He does that in Galatians 2.10. He had gone into Jerusalem. Uh, He had presented himself to the apostles and uh, they just said, hey, Paul, j- like, you're, you're good. You're a Christian. We, we trust you. Just remember the poor, right? Just remember the poor. And this is what Paul says. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So remembering the poor, like worshiping God, is something that we should always be doing, right? It's something we should always be doing. But especially on the Lord's day, as we gather and give our offerings each week. James puts it this way. He says, in James 1, 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So by way of application, I want to ask this. Do you deliberately set aside your resources, right? Your money, your time, your expertise, anything else that, that's yours, that's, that's a resource that you have, both in your abundance and in your poverty, to remember the poor? Do you remember that the Lord's day is for remembering the poor? And the, the, the last uh, part here of remembering the Lord's day is for worship. It's, it's, for, it's to be kept holy in acts of mercy. Similarly to remembering the poor, the Lord's day is for acts of mercy. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 12, 19 through, or 9 through 14. So Matthew 12, actually 7 through 14. Starting in verse 7, it says, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him, right? It was the tradition of the Jews that uh, because a withered hand wasn't life-threatening, that it was against God's law to heal on the Sabbath. Right, Because his life wasn't in danger. He wasn't in peril of dying at that moment. That healing on the Sabbath was work and therefore forbidden uh, uh, in the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him to destroy him. Doing good to others, but especially those in need, is how we remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. 
So by way of application, I'm asking, do you seek out opportunities to be merciful on the Lord's day? Do you use your Sundays to plan how you might serve those in need in our church and in your community and in the city? Do you remember that the Lord's day is for acts of mercy? Now, um, the next point here, and, and keep, keep all that I've said, right? It's for worship, right? There's, there's so much that we're doing, right, in, in these first three commands. There's so much that, that God's requiring of us. But we have to understand that the Lord's day is also for rest. That's the second point. The second thing I want us to see is the Lord's day is for rest. Remember the Sabbath day in verse 8. Six days you shall labor in verse 9 and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, um, the the next point here is that I believe that the Sabbath means a resting from labor, right? You rest from labor on the Sabbath. Now, it was not always my conviction that on the Lord's Day, right, the Baptist faith and message in 1925, in 1963, and then the Second London Baptist Confession, they confessed this. That it says that not on the Lord's Day, right, not only uh, should I observe an, a, an, because it's old-timey, right, an holy day of rest um, from their own works, words, and thoughts, but their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity. So I didn't always uh, view the Lord's Day as, as that. I didn't think the scriptures required it, but I do now. Um, and I get this conviction from 9, 10, and 11, right? He, he says, you shall uh, do no labor, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, uh, interpreting the fourth commandment to mean that we ought to rest in this way from all our work and recreations, acts of mercy and necessity excluded, right? So like, example, if you're a doctor, you should still help sick people, right? Or uh, a nurse, or if you're a pastor, you still uh, need to uh, do your priestly vocation, right? Uh, Those aren't prohibited, uh, but that view that that we should interpret that way is not universally held. Like, not all the elders here at Remedy view that. It's, it's my own conviction that it does. Um, and so you can take that, uh, you know, you can ruminate on that yourself. And if you have questions, you can talk to me about it. Um, but um, in addition to, like, just the fact of us resting from our labors, I think um, it does draw us to think about a spiritual meaning that I think all of us, all of us elders here at Remedy do hold. Uh, there's a, a deeper spiritual meaning to the text, and, and that is my next point. So, no application in point one, but we need to rest from self-will, right? That's, that's uh, 2B, resting from self-will. It is, uh, the Lord's day is for resting from imposing our own self-will on things. Notice how the command prohibits anyone from working, right? It says, not only can you not work, but you can't make your son work for you, 
You can't make your daughter work for you. You can't make your servants work for you. You can't make your livestock work for you. And you can't make the sojourner who lives in your land do your work for you. No one should do the work that you impose on the world. You can't get anyone to pursue your purposes for you. That's what the Lord's, that's what the commandment here in in, uh, the fourth commandment does. You need to rest from self-will. So Isaiah 58, 13 through 14 puts it this way. It says, if you turn back your, uh, your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, Then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Listen again to how Isaiah talks about the sins of God's people in relations to the Lord's day. He describes their sins as doing your own pleasure, of going your own way, of seeking your own pleasure. The way we remember the Lord's day as a rest from labor is to constantly and consistently put the death, put to death the deeds of our own flesh and do the will of our father in heaven. Jesus puts it this way in John six thirty eight: for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, I want to stop here for a second and let the words of Jesus just blow up our conceptions of what rest looks like. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I think we often think of, I have to use air quotes because I'm using rest lots of different ways. So we think of rest, right, as being able to do what we want when we want to do it. Right? We think of rest as being at ease. We think of rest, a rest of our imaginations is having no commitments, right? no obligations, no interactions with difficult people, no bending our wills to conform to a standard outside of ourselves, no obedience to anything but the singular voice of our will to be as we want. Right? That's what we view as restful. That's what I view as restful. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So God's will for us on this festive day of rest is not right that we get more sleep. It's not that we read more books. It's not that we watch more football. It's not that we forget about our job. It's not that we avoid people that we don't like. It's not that we be free from all obligation or commitment. Instead, It is God's will that you submit your will to obey all that God has commanded you to do and to be. Every last bit of it. And that, as you fail to measure up to complete obedience to God's holy and just standard, which we all will do, right? We run to Jesus to be saved. Right? We run to him to be empowered to live a life of ongoing repentance to his holy law. We run to him to be conformed into his image and to be made new creations and to love the things that he loves and to be what he has commanded us to be. 
And in this act of faithful obedience, right, of forsaking our self-will, of, of repenting and believing the gospel, it comes with a promise, right? That there's a promise that God gives to us when, when we follow the pattern of, of trusting and believing Jesus, where we say, hey, this rest of my imagination is not the rest that I desire. The rest that I desire is the rest that God commands, and the, it's the rest of obedience, of, of doing God's will, right? If, if you remember, right, if we repent of going our own pleasure and doing our own ways and seeking our own pleasure, God promises us something, right? He, he makes a promise to us in Isaiah 58. In verse 14, he says, Then you shall take delight in the Lord. We all, the rest that we desire is the, the rest of delight, right? We all want to be delighted. We all want to, as we rest, we all want to have like, magical things going off, all the endorphins running in our heads, right? We just want to be at ease. And God promises that if we honor his Sabbath, right? He, we will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We often think that our de- default delights show us the path of truth, right? The stuff that I like today is the stuff that I always should get. But actually, right, delight in the Lord is something that our sinful hearts and sinful natures must learn, right? And we learn it by following the example of Jesus and the prescriptions of the law. Our default, uh, uh, by default, our delight is in ourselves and our own will, right? By default, it's in the rest that we desire. We have No satisfaction in the food of obedience. You guys remember John 4? No satisfaction in the food of obedience. It is only when we submit to God's way and learn obedience that we begin to find delight in the Lord. Remember John 4, 32 through 34. But he said to them, I have no food to eat, or but I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Obeying God is like food, sustaining, delighting food for our souls. Obeying God in all his commands will give us a delight in the Lord. It might be contrary to our natural inclinations. But once we submit to the decrees of God and let them shape our affections and desires, we will find delight in obeying him. Once we have our delights conformed to the image of Jesus' delights, God promises us something amazing. Just look at uh, this one phrase in Isaiah fifty-eight fourteen: the heritage of Jacob. Another way of saying this is the inheritance of Jacob. This is an Old Testament reference to all the promises made to Abraham and his seed. It is the promise of a land to dwell in perpetuity, right? I think I said that right. In safety and abundance, right? Safety and abundance. It is the promise of descendants that will fill the earth. It is the promise of victory over enemies. And this promise of the heritage of Jacob has been fulfilled for Jacob and for you and for me and for all the world in the death, life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus is the inheritance of Jacob. Jesus is the promise Jesus is a seed that was promised, whose family, of which we are a part, right, we fill the whole earth. Jesus is the one who has crushed Satan's sin and death under his heel. Jesus has gone before his church into heaven to prepare a place for us to dwell with him forever in safety 
and abundance in his presence. And we all, and all we have to do to enter into this promise is repent and believe the gospel. All we have to do is turn from all the ways we violate his law and trust that all that he did, he did for us. All we need to do is repent constantly, persistently, habitually, and believe, yearning, hoping, and trusting in Jesus. And as we do, we begin to realize that the Lord's day is for rest because like the Lord's supper, it gives us a foretaste of heaven. And that's, that's the last and final point. The Lord's day is for rest because it is a taste of the rest to come, our eternal life with Christ. As we worship together in the congregation, right, as we gather together, we'll get a foretaste of the praise our God will receive from us for all of eternity. Right? These, these simple songs that we sing will, should bring our minds to the day when in Revelation, right? We all sing out with one voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, right? It's a foretaste. It, it's, it's practice for eternity. As we come to the Lord's table, right? We'll get a, a little nibble of the food and drink that will be our constant nourishment forever. As we fellowship with each other, we'll enjoy the company of the family that will dwell together for the uh, dwell together for us the place prepared for us by Jesus Himself. So we'll go to this place, and we'll all be there, and we'll get to be with each other forever. And as we hear the word preached, we'll hear the call of the Logos, whose face will behold eternally in glory. There are toiling labors will be ended. We won't toil anymore in heaven. The burdens of poverty and of want and of sin will be lifted from our backs and we'll be completely free. There in heaven, we will enter into the rest of God himself. Now, I want to close by encouraging us to recognize that the Lord's day is for tasting the rest bought for us by Christ in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And I want to do that today by reading Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1 and going all the way through Hebrews 4, 13. And I'll close this in prayer. Uh, As I read, I want these words to encourage and convict and be your meditation for the rest of the day. So go home and read it again. Again, it's Hebrews 3, 1 through 4, 13. So go home and read it and talk about it with somebody. Uh, Discuss it. Have a conversation. Um, Talk about it with others. Pray over its words. Heed its warnings. It's Hebrews 3, verse 1 through 4, 13. It says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt with Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we are unable to enter because of unbelief. Notice that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, help us to consider Jesus, our apostle and our high priest, our faithful savior, who is worthy of all glory and honor because he was faithful over God's house as a son. He is God's Son, He is God. And Holy Spirit, keep us from evil, unbelieving hearts that will lead us to fall away from the living God. And let us exhort one another against the deceitfulness of sin 
that our hearts may not be hardened by our own sin. And let us consider the wilderness wanderings of Israel and how many did not enter the rest of the land because of the rebellion of their hearts against the holy law of God and his just decrees. And even after they tasted of the deliverance under Moses and saw the miracles of the plagues and the parting of the sea and the cloud by day and the fire by night and ate the manna from heaven and drank water from the rock, even after they did all those things, their hearts were hardened and they disobeyed and they spurned God and they rebelled against him and rejected him. And so they did not enter his rest. And so, Lord, grant it to us that we might strive to enter your rest and keep us from the same sort of disobedience. Let us bow our heads to your rule and obey all that you have commanded us. Let your will be done in our lives constantly and persistently and daily and habitually. And may we trust and hope and repent and be all that you have commanded us to be for your name's sake, for your glory, and for our joy. Amen.